This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. There is nothing wrong with your radio. Do not attempt to adjust the frequency. We are controlling transmission. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limit frequency. Good evening, my name is Ricardo. My name is Sam. And this is the Outer Limit Frequency. Post-rock is one of those genres that is so hard to properly define that many have questioned its genrehood in the first place. Rude, but also understandable. The term gained prominence in the mid-90s due to a particular glut of experimental records coming out of America, names such as Slint and Tortoise. But by the time people had gotten around to naming it, post-rock had already left a mighty swath of influence across many seemingly disparate genres separated by great distance and multiple eras. In the modern age, post-rock has generally come to refer to a specific style of primarily instrumental music that is heavy on drama and characterised by long builds and cathartic payoffs. But this definition is far from satisfying and ends up excluding a lot of what the post-rock concept can bring to the table. So tonight's episode is an attempt to unravel the mystery of post-rock and look at just a few of the many ways in which this concept has manifested in music. While bands like Slint and Tortoise may be often credited as the early pioneers of so-called post-rock, Scottish band Mogwai have been doing it almost as long. And I mean, they're also kind of better than either of those two. While their brand of post-rock often shifts into the whole space rock thing, or math rock, art rock, whatever you want to call it, I kind of feel that when they do those particular styles, they put up a good argument for space rock and math rock, etc., just being forms of post-rock. They're not, but they make it seem so. With 10 studio albums since their formation, the latest one arriving just this year, Mogwai are showing no signs of slowing down, and have managed to adapt their sound to the ever-shifting landscape of what actually defines post-rock. This is Richie Sacramento.
core ingredients in the post-rock gumbo was a quirky style of deconstructed rock that came out of West Germany in the late 60s, bluntly referred to as Krautrock. Where do they get their names? By stripping away rock's flashier tendencies and all but abandoning pop structures, Krautrock doubled down on hypnotic grooves and looping structures to represent a brand new shape that rock music could take. Faust and Amandul were big players in the Krautrock movement, but can were the genre's megastars, if such a thing were possible. The band's high watermark was the album Tagomago, released in 1971. Tagomago is alternatingly sinister, electric, and shamanic in its tone, sounding positively alien when compared to other rock albums that also came out in 1971. Nobody was likely to mistake this for Who's Next or Led Zeppelin IV or Electric Warrior, that's for sure. Much like King Crimson before them, Can were so far ahead of their time that they were daring others to keep up, which turned out to be nigh on impossible. In many ways, the existence of post-rock is a reaction to being left so far behind by sonic pioneers of Krautrock and wizards behind Can. From Tagomago, this is Can with Mushroom. So
Over their nearly 40-year career, swans have had their fingers in many pies, metaphorically speaking, but also possibly literally. I have no idea what Michael Gira gets up to in his free time. Through the 80s and 90s, swans embraced various forms of post-punk, industrial, avant noise, and no-wave, building a strong cult following before finally calling it quits in 97. But swans were not dead, merely dormant. The version of the band who made their raucous return in 2010 brought with them a new aggression which sent their simmering existential rage into overdrive. By shredding their influences and reducing them to core components that could be reused, recycled and repurposed over and over again, Swans became the heralds for a new style of post-rock that was as visceral as it was cerebral. Specifically, I would like to highlight their excellent comeback trilogy, My Father Will Guide Me Up a Rope to the Sky in 2010, The Seer in 2011, and To Be Kind in 2014. Each was more daring and immense than its predecessor, while simultaneously being less encumbered by the band's own long shadow and cumulative dogma. This was post-rock at its most primal, brutal, and elemental. This was post-rock that wasn't afraid to set the old templates on fire and paint new pictures with the ashes. From To Be Kind, this is Swans with Screenshot. Thank you. 
battles are, and I say this with all due respect, absolutely batshit. They are, to me, the perfect example of, of what modern post-rock is, or at least should be. The fact that they have music that makes you see things while sober is a hell of a feat on its own. But the way they somehow make music that doesn't make sense make sense is something that I feel post-rock has been trying to do since its loose inception. I was put on to battles by the combined forces of Little Big Planet and Ricardo, and honestly I'm shocked he didn't snatch them up first for this episode, so maybe we'll just have to talk about them again. And again. And I love the song Ice Cream. I just felt, I don't know, if I'm going to talk about battles again, I'm going to play Ice Cream. So, instead this is Atlas. Thank you. 
though the term was coined to describe a specific movement of American music, post-rock refused to stay trapped within the country's borders and spread across the globe like any self-respecting music genre would. Let us not forget that even our own country has a strong track record in this department. From Into Orbit to Jacob to Lamp of the Universe, the solemnity and cinematic vastness of this movement speaks to the heart of this geographically isolated post-colonial Pacific nation of ours. Auckland by way of Berlin Group and Emerald City weren't together very long in the grand scheme of things, but they turned heads with their world-infused post-rock all the same. Borrowing liberally from psychedelia, raggers, jam band rock, and hippie folk, they created a breathtaking blend of instrumentation that allowed them to approach the post-rock concept from a brand new angle. Their second album, confusingly titled The Fourth, might be stronger from a songwriting and production standpoint, but the rawness and bombast of debut album Circuscaria always wins out for me. I mean, the album was re- legitimately recorded in a frickin' cave. What better way to fly in the face of the rock establishment could you possibly want than that? This is Mulpasha.
so when looking up bands for this episode that aren't Battles, Black Emperor, or the band I'm playing after this one, one band that kept coming up was Vessels. So I listened to Vessels, and I hated it. Because how in the hell is this electro-rubbish post-rock? Well, it turns out I was listening to the wrong stuff, because Vessels were post-rock. They just, over time, decided being experimental wasn't experimental enough and decided to experiment with techno. Then stuck with it. And that makes me sad, because their early post-rock wasn't bad. Their first two albums, White Fields and Open Devices, and Helioscope, were actually, dare I say, pretty good. And it was their first album, White Fields and Open Devices, that gave us the song Happy Accident, which I would like to say sums up my time with Vessels, but I'd be lying, because it wasn't an accident, and half of it wasn't all that happy.
on that. Okay. Got to make a big decision for as you snow live. Let's say, soon goes right. Let's go uphill now. Look at that. See? Oh, I know. You're saying, Bobby, made a mess this time. You may be right, too. I've certainly been known to do that. There we go. But we don't, we don't make mistakes, you know. We have happy accidents. In many ways, Darkseid represents the logical conclusion to post-rock's influence and experimentation over the years, one that has borne some incredible fruit over its sparse release schedule. Darkseid is a project helmed by electronic musician Nicholas Jarr and multi-instrumentalist Dave Harrington, and their two albums to date are incredible examples of the value of composition in post-rock. This is music built from the same DNA as rock. Instrumental performance, vocals, samples, electronic textures. But Jar and Harrington's approach is vastly different to that of your local pub rock band. Darkside presents a version of music which is meticulously orchestrated and painstakingly crafted. Much like Battles did the decade prior, it merges the organic with the digital, the performed with the found. The group's 2021 album, Spiral, is the pinnacle of a thoroughly modern type of composition, a crowning monument to this particular coven of post-rock. This is Darkside with The Limit.
there's a very fine line separating avant-garde, prog, and post-rock. The line becomes even finer, more fine, when you replace post-rock with post-metal, such as the case with the Boston band Isis, who, while they may not be avant-garde, are in places pretty much walking the line between prog-metal and post-metal, and showing us just how much these two have in common. I think Isis were at their best when they went full-on sludgy prog mode, but then there are times that we get something we didn't expect, like pretty much the entirety of their 2012 compilation album Temporal, which featured a bunch of covers, demo tracks, and remixes, and the one here that stands out is the very post-metal version of their song Not in Rivers But in Drops, remixed seemingly by Welsh musician Lustmid, featuring Melvins. You're welcome.
And that is going to wrap us up for the week. Thank you once again for tuning into the Outer Limit Frequency. If you like what you heard, and since you keep coming back, that seems to be the case, uh, feel free to look us up on Spotify, the Outer Limit Frequency, and we have dozens more episodes for you there. I guarantee you'll find something you like. And since you're coming back next week, join us as we do pretty much the same sort of thing, but with post-hardcore. What's post-hardcore? Come back next week and find out. See you then. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.